0: Hi, this is Taylor Stuber, and this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. We focus on all topics related to postgraduate training. From current events to advice, we
1: bring you, the listener, up to date content related to postgraduate training. New
0: episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. You can follow us on social media at PGP Pharmacist or The Postgraduate Pharmacist.
1: Four weeks ago, we talked about our top 10 things to do to prepare this summer for postgraduate training. One of the things we discussed was scholarship or research and how it can potentially help boost your application. But... This can be very intimidating for students or really anyone who hasn't done something like this before. So we wanted to dedicate this episode to exploring the entire topic of scholarship
0: and research in preparation for postgraduate training. When we discuss this topic, and when I say we, I mean, not just Taylor and I, every mentor, preceptor, faculty member out there, any pharmacist that deals with candidates, we don't usually start at a fundamental level because it's easy to assume pharmacy students, professional students, have a baseline knowledge and are just going to understand how to navigate this complex topic. Today, we plan to break down exactly what research is, why it's important, and how to do it the right way. So let's go ahead and dive on right in. We've kind of thrown
1: these terms, research and scholarship, around So what is the difference
0: between research and scholarship, or do you perceive there to be a difference? So quick disclaimer, we're shooting from the hip when it comes to the answers to these questions. So there may even be a bit of brainstorming in this session because we did not come up with our answers beforehand. So Taylor, to me, I like to say just from a, from what I hear on a daily basis, I think we use these words pretty synonymously. I know they're different. Research is not the same thing as scholarship, but I think when you hear these words and candidates hear these words, they may be using these pretty interchangeably. So I would say don't get bogged down in the details with them. But Taylor, do you have a good explanation of like what is the difference between them?
1: Yeah, I think the way that I would define it and what I've read before is that research is either seeking an answer or creating knowledge whereas scholarship is seeking knowledge. So it can be a little bit different. There are a lot of similarities, but some
0: differences with that. I like that definition. So moving on, why do we even care about scholarship? What's the point? Is it just to have another shiny piece on your CV? Why do programs care about it so much? What's the deal with it?
1: Well, I do think it is nice to have on your CV. It certainly helps you stand out from other candidates potentially, that it could be a plus because of that. But I think there's a lot more of importance than just being a shiny piece on your CV as you described. And I think programs care about it for a few reasons. So first of all, resident and fellowship programs, especially fellowship programs that are geared more towards research, are going to require some degree of research experience during your training so having that experience before you enter that training program is definitely going to help you in the process and program directors know going into this process that you're equipped for it so this is one reason to engage in it before going into these programs second and i think maybe more importantly in the global scheme of things is that I think research and scholarship activity are very important and fulfilling because they help advance the field and advance our practice to inform our best practices to care for our patients. So ultimately, our research and scholarly activity is going
0: to benefit patients. That's exactly how I see it, is that you're preparing yourself to do better during residency because let's face it you're not going to be micromanaged so you need the time management and autonomy skills to be able to meet all those deadlines or at least you have a fundamental understanding of what the process entails yeah i like that you said fundamental process because it's having that understanding of what it takes to do all the pieces so that you can say oh i know how long this takes when you get to the program you're at I know how long it's going to take me to go through IRB. I know how long it's going to take me to write this up. So you have a better understanding how to build your schedule around it.
1: So now that we've discussed some of those differences between research and scholarship and why we should care about it, what are the different types of scholarship or research? Do they all weight the same
0: or are some more
1: important than others in the eyes of program directors?
0: Just to point out the most obvious thing and probably the cherry on top here in terms of weight would be a prospective research study. I don't see how anybody would say that that's not gonna be the most rigorous and comprehensive type of research project is going from start to finish, all the way from doing background research to formulate a research question throughout IRB, data collection, data analysis, manuscript writing and dissemination, that whole, gold standard for research kind of thing. I think that's going to be the most prestigious, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to do every single part of that in order to do, you can do pieces of that. You don't have to do the whole thing. But I think a program would look at that. If you were, let's just say you were able to do the whole thing. They'd look at that and say, well, that's pretty much everything we'd want. They've they've done a project, right? But the practicality is that's not going to happen. Besides that, what else do they have? Yeah. And I think in terms of, you mentioned
1: publications, that's not even something that all residency programs might require, but it would be a good thing to help you stand out. And those are things to certainly think about, but I don't necessarily think that you have to be published to be engaged in research, especially as a student. So one of the things to think about is poster presentations. Students end up being engaged in data collection or IRB approval could then go on to create an abstract to submit to a national or local meeting and create a poster that they can disseminate the findings that way. It might be difficult to start from scratch, like you mentioned, with a prospective research study, but you could be involved in other ways such as this. And so jumping in, maybe in the middle of the process would be helpful. So I think there's a lot of different options to think about and what preceptors
0: might be engaged in. Yeah, and I think you can do a quality improvement projects too. They say you should you should always get them IRB approved just so you can always do something with that research and you can share it at, at places like you were saying. I think that's a perfect example is doing posters. And then you've got a, a bunch of other things that you can do. You don't have to do a, like a research project. You could write something up that requires no IRB. You could do like a review article. You could write a piece of a review article. You could just say, do you need a section of this written? Or do you need a piece of this written? Or do you need a Like a drug class within your review article of this disease state written, and I can write that for you or help with that. I mean, it's not always the same type of project. There could be a lot of different things that you could uh, accomplish. Absolutely. And I think one of the other things, now that we're talking
1: about it, that you can think about with that is that maybe you're going to do a poster, and that's what you're ultimately going to be able to do before mid year or before you apply to residency programs. And that's good and everything. But I think one other aspect, and certainly from my personal experience, whenever I design a research project, one of my goals is to eventually publish that. And so the preceptor you might work with might have the same type of aspiration. So if you have a plan to submit it, while you might not be able to do that during your P4 year when you jump on a project, you might have that in mind to eventually do that maybe later on during your P4 year. And you can definitely
0: use that and discuss that during the interview process. Yeah, I like that you're saying you don't have to be published. You just have to have the experience. That experience is key.
1: Yeah, I like all those things that we said. I think that's a good, all-encompassing summary of everything.
0: So does some type of scholarship guarantee a postgraduate training position? Well, the short answer is no, but it definitely helps.
1: I think there's a lot of things that programs are looking at that we've talked about in other episodes, but research is something that programs are going to be looking at, and you still need to be cognizant of other areas that programs are looking for, like leadership, service, a lot of other things, your grades. So you need to be cognizant of all those other areas and check those boxes as well. All right, moving on to the most important question of the episode, the trivia question.
0: All right, lay it on me.
1: All right, well, I'm still going to give you a chance to catch up a little bit and give you some answer choices. And this is actually a question that you should get right because it has to deal with a town that is near and dear to you, Johnson City, Tennessee.
0: Oh, boy.
1: So, no pressure or anything
0: and just lived there for 20 years.
1: (laughs) So what is the lowest recorded temperature in Johnson City, Tennessee history? I'll give you some choices. Is it negative 31? And these are all in Fahrenheit. Negative 21, negative 11, or negative one?
0: Can I know the year? I don't know the year either. (laughs) because funny story the uh if it's the blizzard of 93 there's there's um the pot the school population in johnson city five years later actually it was um because because it was middle school so 10 years later it's like 2003 the middle schools exploded because everybody had babies during the blizzard of 93 because nobody could go outdoors so johnson city population expanded So I was just I was just curious if it was the blizzard of 93, because that's the thing. If you if you were in Johnson City back in the 90s, everybody knows about the blizzard 93. Um, I don't know if it's ever gotten to negative 31 degrees Fahrenheit. That seems a little ridiculous. The coldest I think it's ever been when I was there was maybe in the 15s. There, it, recently, it got the coldest I've ever seen it, and they they kept the kids home from school because it was so cold, and it's the south. So people thought, you know, when you walk outside, Taylor, and it's like negative, uh, it, it's like 5 degrees versus 20 degrees. You really can't tell a difference. It's just cold. Yeah. So they didn't think people would realize how cold it was and that you could get frostbite within a few minutes. So they canceled school, beautiful day, sunny weather but they canceled school because it was so cold. They knew that some of these people would not put their kids in jackets and things like that. So the kids would get frostbite waiting for the bus. That temperature was five to 12 degrees. So what was the, what was the warmest I had was negative one, negative one. It makes me think it must've been, I mean, it just seems like it would be negative one because I, I don't know it ever being so cold it got below zero degrees is that your final answer it has to be I don't I don't I don't know of any time it was colder than that but I know it's probably wrong I bet it's colder
1: you were wrong <laughs> it has gotten colder it has been the lowest recorded temperature is negative 21.
0: That had to be before 1993.
1: (laughs) I'm assuming it
0: was. I bet that was like in the 60s.
1: (laughs) So I'm sorry, but you are still striking out on trivia. All
0: right. All right. It's okay. It's okay. I don't think you're going to get this one. So I have a couple preliminary questions. How recently have you seen Back to the Future? Not recent. It's been since I was a kid. Good. So how many times in your lifetime do you feel like you've seen it? Maybe twice. It's twice? Okay. This is going to be a tough one then. <laughs> All right. So how did Dr. Emmett Brown, you know who that is, a.k.a. Doc? I know Doc. Okay. We know Doc. We're good. So how did Doc from Back to the Future discover the flux capacitor? And so there's four keywords here. I'll, I'll consider it right if you can get two of the four keywords. Now you can tell me how. But if you end up saying two of the four keywords on how he discovered the flux capacitor, I will, I will count it right.
1: So I don't get answer choices.
0: No, because that's way too, that would make it way too easy. If you have absolutely no earthly idea, then I guess I can give you answer choices. I have no idea. All right, so here's your options. Did he slip while trying to hang a clock standing on his toilet? And blacked out because he hit his head was it because he was tripping on lsd which the movie didn't say lsd the movie said curated from some local hippies at the market he curated some herbs from some (laughs) local hippies at the market or was he electrocuted while trying to rewire his automated toaster oven and it came to him during the shock ooh those all sound really enticing as answer choices (laughs) They wouldn't be good distractors if they weren't. I'm going to say he was electrocuted. C, final answer. Ah, see, I was hoping you would pick that one because of how his hair looks. It's actually, he's actually hanging the clock, standing on the toilet, slipped, hit his head and blacked out. And then during the blackout is when he envisioned and dreamed about the flux capacitor. All right, so we're both terrible at trivia, which, you know, scores still... (laughs) Score's still the same, so that's good. If each week you don't get one, is a is a win by me. All right, Taylor. So, how often? Back to the back to the the topic of scholarship and research. How often do you have to do it? How much time per week should a candidate dedicate to scholarship?
1: Well, it's definitely going to depend on what all you're going to be involved with, whether it be data collection, IRB approval, things like that. But I would say, just speaking from my personal experience and the students that I have helped me with research, I'd say if you're able to devote, you know, a couple evenings here and there, maybe a couple weekend days, I'd say most of my students, I usually have them help a little bit with the IRB, have them help a little bit with data collection. They're able to complete those requirements in roughly 20 hours or so, maybe a little bit longer, depending on how many patients that we're looking at, but, you know, I think just talk to your preceptor or whoever your mentor is that you're involved with research and talk to them about it. What would you say?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think also it's important to understand what the timeline is of the person you're working with. So some people may not even have a timeline. They might just have a project sitting by that's like, I don't care when it gets done as long as it gets done. So you can devote however much time you want on a weekly basis to it, just to push it towards the goal of completion versus you might have a, a, a preceptor or a mentor that's like well I want to get this done in 6 months so I would need your piece done in this many months and I envision it's going to take this much time can you dedicate that much time to it don't feel forced to do that you know if you if you have a very busy schedule at the time and you feel like it's going to impact your coursework you don't just say yes to to doing something that you know is going to probably diminish your ability to be successful in school because your grades are also very important for postgraduate training. So make sure it fits in your timeline. Make sure you can have you have that discussion with the expectations. And make and even if they don't come forward with the expectations, make sure you have that. Well, what's your expectation? What do you what do you need done, and when do you need it done? What can I work on? Is it working on it like? Like Taylor, like you were saying that that 20 hours for data collection, maybe spread across a couple of weeks. Is that a reasonable amount of time for me to do this? Because that's how much time I have to dedicate to this. You yeah, have that conversation, communicate with them, figure out a plan and do that. One more thing I wanted to add is in terms of like how how often do you have to do it? So if you did a project on your P, you just got really lucky. You had a great mentor who just pulled you in and said, hey, I got this short project. Can you help me work on it? P one year fall semester. Does that mean you don't have to do something for the rest of your pharmacy career, or pharmacy curriculum career? And I would say that's not true. You probably, that's going to look bad that you did something very beginning and you didn't do anything else throughout. So try to spread it out as much as possible if that's, if you're able to do it. Try to do it as early as possible if you, if we caught you early enough. Try to get on a project early, try to do multiple projects throughout, pace yourself and, and do that. Don't just do one and done at the beginning and don't do it again because that looks like you can't handle multiple things going on at the same time.
1: Yeah. And I think just lastly, to your point, I think that, you know, this is a good, good opportunity for, you know, those students that are maybe in their P3 year who are thinking about, or P2 year who are thinking about pursuing postgraduate training. I think this is a good opportunity to think about what opportunities might be available to you, you know, within your curriculum. I know our, at auburn university we offer a mentored research elective and i think that that would be potentially a good opportunity to get involved with some research early on in a mentored capacity so look for those types of opportunities at your own institution as well
0: so what if you can't you simply cannot find anyone to help with scholarship, there's nobody reaching out. You've probably reached out to a few mentors. You've talked to a few preceptors or faculty. No one seems to have any projects. No one's directing you towards projects. Should, should you just give up on getting a postgraduate training experience? Cause you don't have this piece. No, you shouldn't give up,
1: especially if it's something that you're, you know, devoted to and you want to pursue. So I think if this situation were to occur, I would look for other opportunities, maybe outside your institution. And it could be something just as simple as looking at different professional organizations. I know that some of them have mentorship programs through there and that maybe that they could help guide you uh, with that. But I think these are good opportunities where you could maybe just write, you know, a newsletter article that is kind of a review of different therapeutic areas. And those would be a good opportunity to get involved in the in the writing process, although it might not be specific research like you were saying, you're still kind of engaging in that scholarly process where you're reviewing different topics and writing about them. And so I think those would be kind of an example of a way that you could kind of pursue a research or scholarship area that may not be as traditional as you might be thinking about what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I like that idea of a newsletter I think too, you could, I mean, you could, as much as you can, you could create your own, like you, you should have a mentor either assigned to you or that you have found a faculty that you're close with, go to them and ask them if they will just kind of help you through the process of writing something, have how help say, would you mind helping me come up with a question that I could just research just so I can get experience with this. And it may or may not end up in some sort of publication or something like that. It might, but just to get the idea so you can get some direction on maybe some self-paced learning, maybe some ideas on what to look for, what to the, uh, tutorials to watch online to get kind of into that writing process. Maybe just go to some professional journals or journals that are geared towards pharmacists and look at their author guidelines. That's a good way to understand like what all is required of authors and what all is required for writing start to just learn about the different types of articles that people can write. Cause that's another thing is you may not realize you could write something like this or write something about this. So there's lots of different types of articles, editorials, pilot studies, little scenarios where you just did something new and unique and you and you wrote about it and just to see how it was there's case studies where you can take a single patient case and write it up that might be another area you could have an interesting patient on rotation and ask your preceptor if you could write a case study you may not publish it but you have the experience of what it takes to write a case study which requires research and background
1: I love that. And I was just thinking about that as you were bringing it up as is case reports. I think, you know, we don't there while they may be considered a lower tier of research, they are still research and they're still valuable to to the body of literature out there. So, you know, I've done that with students before is we, we have an interesting patient on rotation that, you know, doesn't fit the mold and or it's a unique situation and you can even submit abstracts to national meetings to present posters with case reports I know um, ASHP midyear we've done that before with students and um, with some of these case reports that we've written up for posters we've actually ended up publishing and so I think th- those are actually good opportunities as well that maybe not be as traditional or that you might not think about as research but those are good it's a really good point
0: yeah I like so I think what we're trying to say, is that there's no way to exhaust all options. If you feel like you've exhausted all options, just pause, break, message us, you know, and we can we help you out. Listen to this podcast, go over the ideas again, do some of these things, just start searching out there for ideas because there is no way to exhaust all options. You there is the ability to do some sort of scholarship in every student at some point in time. Don't feel like it has to be these prospective research studies where you're getting on board with the faculty who's IRB approved and all that stuff. There's tons of ways to do this.
1: So just thinking about a timeline now that you bring it up, when should you start doing research during your P4 year? And I guess, how do you start it? Where do you begin?
0: Who do you talk to? I think this segues from that previous question we were just talking about. Like you were saying with your P4s, you have an interesting patient. You can do a case study. Specifically in your P4 year, I think you just crank up that uh, situational awareness and you just get ready and geared in beginning of every rotation. Just be ready to say this could be the one I do scholarship on. I would I would honestly just approach every rotation in chronological order with the idea of i'm going to do research on this one or scholarship on this one because you don't want to keep putting it off to that one rotation you have in november that's your acute care rotation that you're like i'll probably get more of an opportunity there only to find out you don't get an opportunity there so i'd approach everyone with the idea like we just talked about in the previous question with those kinds of strategies and ideas to try to secure that type of research and having I think you said this in another episode I might be stealing your thunder here Taylor you you talked about like day one sitting down with your preceptor and setting expectations and telling them what you would like to get out of the rotation and that that's one of your goals and if they have any projects or things they're working on that you could be part of any kind of drug utilization reviews or medication reviews or things like that.
1: Yeah. And I think that could bring a good opportunity to get, you know, multiple experiences with research, but I would even suggest reaching out to future preceptors from day one of rotation year. And you could even, let's say you have an interest in infectious diseases. Well, why not reach out to an infectious disease faculty or an infectious disease preceptor you have later on, tell them that you're interested in infectious diseases and ask them if they have any research and say, hey, I'm going to be on your rotation in four months. What research do you have going on? Could I be a part of it? I'm interested in ID. And get involved early, and that would give you more time to do those uh, research activities like data collection, IRB, and that, that would even give the opportunity
0: to maybe complete a larger project in those situations. Oh, that's genius. I like that. You could then hit rotation day one, ready to do some data collection, like in your spare time when you're not working up patients and you've got a little bit of downtime on rotation, like you could be then in the EHR doing data collection, which would be like a prior rotation experience, but at the same time getting that scholarship done. That's really, that's a really good idea.
1: And I think even reaching out to a mentor from day one and and tell them that you're interested in research to see if they could connect you with some opportunities in your area during that P4 rotation year. So the earlier you ask and start reaching out, the better,
0: I believe. Yeah, some other things, like little just random tidbits, reach out to the state's Board of Public Health because they're always trying to do some sort of project. Like right now, the especially in Alabama, the Alabama Department of Public Health is trying to investigate vaccine hesitancy and things like that. So they may have stuff that you could get a part of or little things that you could do to help them from like a regional or state level, which might be interesting. And you could, I mean, you don't have to wait until your P4 year. That would just be a time you're out and about and it may be easier to do those things. Reach out to the pharmacy administrators at the place you're at. So say you have a general hospital rotation where you're just kind of jumping around to different places within the, the hospital, the IV room to the floor to maybe oncology or things like that, reach out to the hospital administrator and see, Hey, is there anything that's going on that I can help on or any small projects that you have? This may not be your preceptor, but they may have stuff or they could direct you to someone in the hospital who's trying to work on something. Oh yeah. We've been trying to evaluate our time to bring how long it takes to get a pump to the floor, some sort of IB thing to the floor and we want to we want to see how long it takes and what the areas for improvement are and you could probably help with that project so Taylor last question how do you draw upon your research experiences during interviews like how do you use all this stuff we've talked about all this stuff you've done how do you use that during your interview season yeah I think
1: there's a lot of ways that you can potentially use it so It's inevitable that you'll probably, if you have it on your CV, you'll probably get questions about your research and your involvement in that. So you'll have to talk about it at some point. Just being familiar with it, know what you were trying to accomplish with the research. So even if you just get assigned to do some data collection, know more about what the project entails and why you were doing the data collection and not just that you did some data collection. Really know the ins and outs of what you were trying to accomplish with it. But I think what you can do during your interviews is talk about your research experience in the context of balancing multiple tasks at the same time. So there's, you know, you obviously have other obligations during your P4 year and in other years, but you were doing this outside of that, talking about managing multiple tasks at the same time. So I think that that's one thing that you can talk about. I think another thing is just depending on your involvement, is talking about how you could use this experience to help you be successful in completing research experiences during your residency year or your fellowship year and how you could apply those things that you learned. Maybe y'all did something and you learned from your mistakes that you maybe didn't devote enough time up front or And things like that that you could improve upon during your residency or fellowship year so instead of waiting until the last minute to do all your data collection you would plan to spread that out over the course of multiple weeks during your residency or fellowship year
0: all right so let me try to wrap my head around everything we just talked about today and summarize it so we talked about the fact that research is not just a Prospective IRB study, research and scholarship is broad. And there's tons of opportunities and things that you can do that can take anywhere from a week's time to months. And it all depends on what you have availability for. To really communicate, if you have not done it, I don't think we can stress this enough, Taylor. You need to email your mentors right now or email your faculty and say, can we set up a meeting to talk about scholarship and research? And just go from there. Put that on the calendar, have that there, and then go forward. So talk, communicate, talk to these people, talk to your preceptors in your P4 year, email them early, set up things early, get in contact early. There's tons of stuff you can do right now just to start setting up these experiences you're going to run into barriers with research. It's just going to happen. So use those situations to really build on those situational questions during interview season. How'd you deal with the difficult time? How'd you deal with the difficult people? How'd you manage a team? How'd you manage certain stressful situations at the same time? Use all that.
1: Yeah. And ultimately at the end of this, hopefully it helps you be desirable to programs. It helps you get those positions and ultimately will lead to fulfillment because I think Just from my experience, research is something that I've found very fulfilling as part of my career. If you want to continue to hear
0: up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. Remember, you can listen to us on all major podcast apps, and don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode in the description below.